Father, thank you for your promises and your purposes. They're good. When you send your son to the world, his arrival is marked by those messengers who announce good news. That's what your son comes to bring. His arrival in our world is really, really good news. And as we look at that over the next weeks, I pray that we'd understand the nature of the good news through the eyes of those who welcomed him into the world. Thanks for the chance we have to be able to talk about him and the records of the individuals who greeted him. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to focus on individuals who welcome Jesus into the world. Uh, we'll focus on the shepherds today, Anna, and then Simeon, and then the Magi. And we'll learn about the significance of Jesus' birth by looking and listening to these first Christmas guests. We're going to pick up the narrative in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. That's what it says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Joseph and Mary had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem uh, to fulfill the census requirement imposed by the Romans. The trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem would cover 85 to 90 miles at the time, probably take about a week to make the trip. And it was between one small town and another. When you think of these towns, they're very small. Bethlehem, I guess it, what my research showed was a town of about 1,400 people. That's about it. And Nazareth was even smaller. That's about a town of about 400 people. So these are small town folks making a long trip to Bethlehem to be able to register for the census to fulfill the requirement imposed by the Romans. Uh, it goes on in verse 6 of Luke 2. says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. I was raised to believe that Jesus, well, Mary was ever virgin and that Jesus really didn't have any brothers or sisters. But Luke leads us to believe that Jesus was not Mary's only son. She could say that he was the only begotten but he is not called the only born, but the firstborn. It seems that Jesus had four brothers and at least a couple of sisters. Um, they gave birth in an inn that was probably, it was very plain, very ordinary, and it, it probably it catered to traveling caravans. And so Jesus was laid in a feeding trough might not have been animals around. We don't know if there's magi. Probably they don't arrive yet. Their arrival comes afterwards. It's probably Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and they laid him in a feeding trough. The deal with swaddling cloths, they put cloths around the baby because it was the custom and to care for children at the time by wrapping them in cloths, and that was thought to keep the limbs straight. And so it would 
be somebody like binding so that... And then it it goes on in verse 8 and says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Um, Probably wasn't wintertime. Shepherds were out in the fields with their flocks, usually during the months of March to November. And with that, so again, it probably wasn't wintertime. There's nothing in the birth accounts that allow us to identify exactly when Jesus was born. We don't know. It, it, it probably wasn't, it wasn't December 25th, but at any rate, that's when we celebrate it. Um, it seems, though, these shepherds, because Bethlehem was about five miles away from Jerusalem, and the sheep that were used to sacrifice were grazed on these hills, and these shepherds might have been responsible to care for some of the sheep that was used that were used in the sacrifices in Jerusalem. That's kind of where this vicinity region would have been. It's interesting, isn't it, that those shepherds then, who were the first to identify the great shepherd of the sheep, also were those who took care of the sacrificed lambs that Jesus was, ended up being as well. Um, As the shepherds were out then, sometime they were looking over their flocks and protecting them. Here's what happened in Luke chapter 2, verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Let's just ask a question. Why are the shepherds the first Christmas guests? Mary, when the angel appeared to her, there seems to be a pattern. When the angel appears to somebody, there's an, an initial experience of fear. It doesn't matter who it is. Angels were frightening. And when angel, when the angel appeared to Mary, then she was afraid. He said, don't be afraid. And he told her what was going to happen, that she was going to give birth to the Christ, the, the anointed one, literally, the one that was predicted in the Old Testament to come and he would be from the line of David. That's why it's interesting that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. God working through Roman procedure, but what was happening, it was God's intent that Joseph and Mary make this trip, that when they get to Bethlehem, the city of David, that this king who was predicted to come, one from the line of David, would be born in Bethlehem. And and so what we're going to see, a lot of the, in fact, I, I, I heard it said that the chance of one person fulfilling eight of the numerous prophecies that were made concerning the Christ, I believe it would be equivalent to taking quarters or silver dollars and placing them, I believe this is accurate, placing them in the state of Texas. 
a foot deep. And then you get plunked into Texas. And the chance that you're going to pick up a mark, and so, so I'm sorry, we say you mark one of these things, one of these silver dollars. And so, and they're, they're foot high across the whole realm of the state. The chance of one person fulfilling eight of the prophecies would be the same chance that you'd walk into Texas, foot deep, pick up the coin with the mark on it. Not very likely. Um, what we find, um, Mary then, when this angel appears to her, she ends up saying this as she is thinking and speaking and really praising God for what has been shown to her. She said, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Among the Jews at the time, shepherds weren't held in high esteem. They were seen as kind of lowlifes, and they, they weren't allowed to be witnesses in court proceedings. They were not considered to be um, that quality of person. Those present at the birth of God's Son were not the world's rulers, and they weren't its religious leaders either. Rather, the angels, the invitation, the appearance of the angels was to shepherds who were on the fringe of society. And they were present to see the birth of Jesus. It seems like God's visitation of salvation then comes to the humble and the hungry and not the proud and the rich. When the angels show up again, people generally become terrified. The angel announces there's no need to fear. And what he says I bring you good news. That word good news literally is what gospel is. So when you hear the word gospel, gospel, that's a word for good news. And so what the angel says, I bring you gospel. I bring you good news. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Since the odds of finding another newborn baby lying in a animal trough, <laughs> Wrapped in clothes, that's not going to be really high. You know what I mean? So if you find that kid, chances are you found the right kid, and they did. Uh, the Luke's account goes on, Luke chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. These men, these shepherds at the bottom of the social scale in Israel were chosen as the first preachers 
of the newborn king. So the angels come glorifying and praising God. Then the shepherds see this and they then do the same thing, glorifying and praising God. So they are the first human messengers to the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. This, again, this, the Messiah's birth had been predicted by Micah in terms of where he was going to be born 700 years earlier by the prophet Micah. Here's what Micah wrote. Again, this is 700 years before Jesus was born. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be their peace. From Bethlehem would come one who would be ruler over Israel. Jesus is the new shepherd then of God's sheep, offering security from external enemies and a life of security. Jesus, like David before him, was to be a shepherd king, feeding, leading, and protecting his people, essentially taking good care of them. The prophets who spoke for God, and when you put your finger on the pulse of who the prophets tend to hold accountable for difficult times, what you find is they hold shepherds accountable, not sheep. And in those days, those who were tasked to care for the people, rulers, priests, kings, they were seen as shepherds. That was one of the images. And what you find is when they are not functioning, that is who the prophets zero in on. Uh, The target of criticism then, biblically, is shepherds not sheep. And when you find there are some difficult places in the Bible that have some frightening senses of accountability, more in the vast majority of those passages, they are being directed at those with leadership responsibilities. God holds shepherds accountable, more often than not, not sheep. Sheep are dependent upon the care of a shepherd. Without the care of a good shepherd, sheep will not, cannot function well. With a good shepherd, sheep then can be healthy, they can thrive, but without a good shepherd, they cannot do so. And when God looks at mankind, he would suggest, this suggests to us then, those tasked not just to govern, but Israel at the time was a theocracy. Those who govern and reflect God to the people better do what they are tasked to do 
truthfully and honestly. Um, the target of criticism biblically is shepherds, not sheep. The Bible doesn't talk as much about bad sheep. It talks about bad shepherds. And this is true both in the Old Testament and the New. It says in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 2, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays and searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Again, this passage is an indictment of religious leaders at the time. Jesus, by contrast, is the Son of Man who came to seek and to save what was lost. Question, how do you distinguish between good shepherds and bad shepherds? From a, not a governmental perspective, but a spiritual perspective. It seems biblically that good shepherds bear the burden and bad shepherds place the burden on the shoulders of sheep. Listen what it says in Matthew 23. Jesus is talking to a crowd of people. That's what he said. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Matthew 23, 4, they tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And what identify what characterizes a bad shepherd is that they place the burden on the shoulders of sheep and make no effort to make the burden lighter. By contrast, Jesus says, come to me in Matthew 11, verse 28, all you who are weary and burdened. So those who had come under the influence of bad shepherds and were weary and burdened, what Jesus says, come to me, all you who with this load on your shoulder, who are weary and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We've said this before, but you can know if spiritual influence is on target or off target, depending on what the burden feels like over a period of time. If the burden feels heavier, if spiritually you find yourself slumping, that's not an indication of Jesus' influence. That's not a really good shepherd's influence. If the shepherd is in Jesus' line, what you should find, 
that it's not that there's an absence, but there the burden gets lighter the more you understand about him. The more you understand his promises, the burden becomes lighter. There's a spring in your step. There feels like hopefulness. That's the sign, biblically, of a good shepherd. Good shepherds take the load from the sheep. Bad shepherds place the load on the sheep. Another way to think of of it, good shepherds talk about bad shepherds. And bad shepherds talk about bad sheep. It doesn't make sense to blame a sheep because it's not the sheep's fault, usually. Here's what the main task of a shepherd is to cultivate responsiveness on the part of the sheep. Here's what it says in John 10. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, He goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. One thing that a shepherd does, it is a very arduous, long process. He creates voice recognition between him and the sheep. Good shepherds factor in agitation. There will come time when the sheep will be agitated. A good shepherd understands it and understands that when sheep are agitated, they don't make really good decisions. Sheep aren't really smart to begin with. So when they're agitated, their thinking becomes even worse and they scramble around hither and yon, here and there. The shepherd deals with physical dangers with his rod and his staff and is skilled with them. He protects the animals. He deals with emotional distress using another tool, one that he carefully hones and brings into existence to influence the sheep. And the tool he uses is his voice. What a a shepherd will do is link his voice with security in the minds of the sheep, so that when a shepherd is there with different sheep, different sheep from different flocks, what the shepherds did at the time, they would call out, and the sheep, hearing his voice, would literally leave the rest of the sheep that were at the watering hole, and he would speak, and they would follow him. Why would they do that? Because the shepherd went to the hard work of cultivating voice recognition, causing his voice to be associated with safety. In this respect, straying sheep, that's more about the shepherd, isn't it, than about the sheep. Straying sheep would be an indication that this voice recognition really wasn't put in place. Um, Leads me to ask a question. In our world, how many spiritual problems would be attributable, if you really boiled it down, to shepherds who speak with the wrong voice? Jesus said, I call my own, and my own know me, they follow my voice. 
I don't. It, perhaps it's not about sheep's hearing, but it's about shepherds speaking. You might think about yourself and times where you have not been as responsive as you'd like to be. You say, "I'm a bad person." It may not be that. Not about bad sheep. Maybe it's about bad shepherds. Um, a harsh voice isn't the shepherd's voice. A harsh voice promotes insecurity and agitation. We don't make really good decisions when we're agitated. That's one of the things that's so difficult about COVID. We can't do the kind of things we do to be able to cope with our distress and anxiety. We're kind of locked in and closed in. It's been a very difficult thing and will continue to be again, it looks like, for a couple of months. It's hard. We're put in proximity to one another. And in this respect, when you're thinking about being agitated, what Jesus would have us understand that he would... And if we are tuning into his voice, his voice is associated with calmness. When you know him and know his voice, it brings a sense of breathing. If it's his voice, if those tasked to speak on his behalf do so harshly and create agitation, that's not Jesus. So with respect to listening to those who claim to speak for God, Develop a good yes and a good no. If there is a sense of rest over a period of time, you can say, yes, that's him. If there's not, then no. It's interesting that when we think about what this shepherd king who came to earth, it's good news that he comes, isn't it? Isn't it good news that a good shepherd comes? And as we understand him, we end up saying something like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because Jesus came, and he is a really, really good shepherd. Let me pray for us. Now, thank you for this shepherd king that you sent to the earth, for not only what he said, the truth, but how he said it gently. When we are agitated as sheep are wont to be, you would speak to us through your son, in a gentle voice, comforting, soothing. Thank you for that. I pray we'd know his voice so that we would recognize it, say yes to it, and know when it's those who claim to be speaking with his voice don't speak the way he speaks. Thank you for salvation and for, and for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.